And this poor, you know, whatever, however old my dad was, was just sitting there with like four wailing teenage girls. It's <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Happy birthday, Colleen. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. No, no, no. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to I Don't Get It. I'm Fonda. I'm Colleen. And we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Thanks for joining me this week, Colleen. It was like, it was, it was a good good week for you. I know. We've been hitting it up like four nights a week. Yeah, we saw. Well, we're about to go into the third show, but yes. we, we saw, initially, we saw the party and the candidate at the Citadel Theatre. So, Colleen, maybe um, just set us up a little bit here. Tell me who the characters are in The Candidate. What, what are the groups of characters that we see in both plays? Oh, my goodness. So The Party and The Candidate are two sister plays, I guess we could call them, uh, going on at the Citadel right now. And the hook with these is that they are two shows that run at the same time with the same cast mm-hmm. um, in two close-by theatres. Um, and so you've got sort of the main characters here are Billy Bisbee with his partner, um, Marky Wright. And then uh, you've also got... And they have they have an adopted daughter, Sue. Sue. Yeah. And then you've got um, Heather Strawn and her husband, Cole Strawn, um, and their campaign manager, Pauline Abel, and her... Uh, Aid, uh, Dill, and the the, the Strons will the Strons will be like kind of straight up. They play basically the Clintons. Correct. There's there's sort of like a Clinton esque um, uh, scandal also with a character named Vidashka, who is kind of our Monica Lewinsky of both shows, except she's like some sort of vague Eastern European heroine. Um. Played. <laughs> impeccably and amazingly by Amber Lewis. Absolutely. Vidashka, between Vidashka and Marky, Marky who is, um, so Bill Bisbee and Marky are are a gay couple. They are people of color. um, And they, and and Marky also is just like this fabulous drag queen. Oh yeah. So I like to think if like The Rock hooked up with RuPaul. That's sort of exactly like their relationship. And then went into politics. And then and then ran for president. And and in this scenario, <laughs> The Rock is gay, but that's fine. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll, we'll leave it Just at that. There. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm in trouble with like <laughs> with the people who like The Rock. I don't know. I think the people who like The Rock Just would go be. Go with me. I think you know what I'm saying. I know. Anyway, I know. I get it. I totally not get it. Saying The Rock is gay. Just I, for explanation. I I, no- I normally get it. It's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so. This, but Mark between Marky and Vidashka, who are actually sort of like, um, like side characters, or they're not yeah. they're not like main characters in the show, but they do absolutely steal the whole show. Ab- oh, they are so fantastic! You're just excited when they come on stage. Yeah. So the basic story of the party, which takes place eight months before the candidate, which we didn't realize really the timing um, of eight months, you know, and why that's particularly meaningful we won't we won't make too many reveals but think about it a little bit yep 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 <laughs> um so the party takes yeah the party takes place before the candidate and we actually did see it in order so we saw the party first saw what happened at the party basically it's a huge political fundraiser for someone named um uh what's it Buchanan? No, he Buchanan, uh, Butch Buchanan hosts the party, and at the party will decide whether or not he is going to um, support either Heather or Billy Bisbee to be the candidate for chief leader of this fictional world. 
and um, and he's and so this Butch Buchanan is a bit of a kingmaker. Yeah, and so his name is Bill Busy. <laughs> no Bisby. <laughs> Excuse me, I don't get it. <laughs> Bixby, what? Just, 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 just in case, you know, we, we'll, you. we'll keep running with it. Um, but yeah, um, played so Glenn Nelson plays uh, Buchanan, and in the candidate, then you see that he's also playing his twin, who is running against Bill Busy for you mean office. The successful person chosen at the end of the party. Yes, that's the clincher at the end of the party is that you kind of already know, though, because Jesse Lipscomb is on the poster for the candidate. So you that's true. So yeah. you kind of know that Bill Busy wins, right? All right. Yeah. All right. And so but the the other clincher with Bill Bisbee, Bill Busy, and now you've got me doing Bisbee, um, <laughs> is that he's a, an action movie star. So like The Rock. Yeah. So if we want to push it further, the Trump character is actually a gay black man. Um, who is an action? Who who is an action um, star? Right. And and so the focus of the candidate though is on Bill Busy and his family. Correct. Yeah. Uh, his yeah his family being his drag queen partner and their adopted um, daughter Sue. Mm-hmm. So Colleen, what did you take from I guess uh, either play standalone as its own, as itself? Well, they were. I, I love that even though it was sort of the same plot and it was the same cast and all of these things, they were totally different plays. The party takes place in the um, what's the theater? It's not the Rice Theater anymore, but it's a black box theater. Where they're tr- they're changing it back to the Rice. It's in the, the to be is the club now, but it will be the Rice again next season. <laughs> the the theater formerly known and to be known as the Rice Theater. Um, <laughs> it takes place in the Rice Theater, and you're you're sitting at little party tables. Like when you arrive, you're given a table number, so it, like you're arriving at a party, and the the actors sort of move in and amongst you, and you get some people get hors d'oeuvres, and it's um and they sort of talk to you, and you're it feels more intimate, and then when you go into the candidate it's in the McLeod theater and it's it's more of a traditional setup it's more of the serious but all satire (laughs) of course so they felt like really even though they're the same topic it felt they felt like really different shows like one felt sort of cabaret style and the other one felt like stand and perform large theater with a lot more special effects yeah the party the actors are coming up to you they're shaking your hand they're acting like you're part of the fundraiser it's a little bit more I guess I would say immersive yeah, and I feel like the dialogue in the party was deliberately a little bit more loose. And I, you know, to be honest, don't know that for sure. But because the plays are written to be um, to run at the same time with each other, there have to be scenes that are a little bit more forgiving so that people can actually run. I don't know. I mean, it's got to be like 40, 50 meters, 60 meters at least. Like, like you know, it's not a kilometer, but it's got <laughs> distance between those spaces. Oh, yeah. And you know, and they sort of introduce it at the beginning of the shows, but they you notice that now and again, there's an actor who's sort of caught on stage, like riffing lines just a bit. And then another actor like runs in legitimately out of breath and you're like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and in all honesty, like see, after seeing the candidate, have to really, really appreciate the costume changes that are done by Tom Allison as Marky and by Rachel Bowan as Iffy, because 
she goes straight from like I don't want to give away what happens with Ify, but like there's significant there, there's, costume, there's significant change. costume change <laughs> that happens, and Murky as well. Murky as a drag queen, of course, goes through many costume changes. Um, but his his are his are sort of phenomenal, and also like getting those shoes on and off, even if he wasn't running in them, like kudos. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Or if he was running in them, like my God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like I still do want to say that like it was so incredible to see Martha Burns on an Edmonton stage um, and that and that I, I love her and she was awesome and I really think that Heather Strong slash Hillary Clinton is like the right person <laughs> for the job. Um, Political bias. <laughs> Thank you. Slight bias. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Um, but 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 it was still Marky and um, Vidashka. Marky and Vidashka. Oh my god. Vidashka's character. Let's just go into v- what happens with Vidashka a little bit. She's from this this fictional country called Saritria, where everything it's like, oh, we kill nuns for luck, and like, oh, don't lock the door because the people will come and kill you. Like, yeah, it's she just... has all these like odd, sort of like <laughs> vague Eastern European epithets that are like, what is I... that? And I'm, I feel like Saritria is somewhere between like Latvia and Eritrea. <laughs> I'm like, isn't that in Africa? I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. Anyway, she just totally stole the show, and yeah, and there's these great moments where she walks out with a shotgun it's like my heart is broken must shoot boom yeah. so like it was just she's great. like we are going to play game with guns now yeah. <laughs> it was great well and it was interesting too so back to Martha Burns though that so it, in the party it felt like there was a very idealistic moral to the story at the end it, you know sort of in keeping with the Me Too movement perhaps and then in the in the candidate I don't know like like I, I don't want to give anything away, but there wasn't quite as strong a moral, idealistic message from the show. It kind of, it, like, nice things were said in certain circumstances, but it didn't end like, you know, like, oh, all wrapped up. That's the way it should have been. And well, I, I think in in certain ways, I think that's a little bit deliberate, too, in that, like, you know, the party ends and kind of like, okay, we don't know what's going to happen with the election. Maybe there's still hope. And then <laughs> and then with the candidate, you see, you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, no, there's there's no hope. Everything sort of sucks. And I mean, realistically, in Alberta right now, we are kind of feeling this sort of like fatigue around Alberta, North America. Well, oh, yeah, just like around like, you know, leaders and how they're chosen and yeah. It's ah, it just seems so really I have to gross. Say, yeah. I have to say though, that, so we saw the party first, and going into the party, like I don't know, I watched Colbert and whatever in the evenings, but going into the party, like for the first few minutes, I was like, oh my god, I don't think I can watch another political commentary show. But ten minutes in, the characters absolutely take over. You're charmed by their personalities, and so even though you've sort of got this like political, everybody's, I do have this like, I'm done, I can't do anymore. The show absolutely took over and made me laugh and I got into it and yeah, and the relationships between the characters just charmed me. So yeah, so even though there's this malaise with, not malaise, that's the wrong word, but fatigue, um, the show still totally distracted me and took me away. Mm -hmm. And the candidate, you didn't feel that way at the end? Well... You know, they had a guy flying from the ceiling on a sh- with a shark with suit, a shark. so that was fun. There was a shark suit, <laughs> <laughs> and there were some really good-looking people in the play, and that was and that made it fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that like I was kind of interested in how 
I mean, how how deliberately parallel it was to the American characters in in you know sort of said presidential election. I mean, the the Clintons were so strongly there, you know, like the Strons were obviously the ones who were supposed to be running the country they were the smartest they were the most experienced they were like actually had policy and everything and like and and, and sweet bill busy you know he's just like handsome and <laughs> and an action movie star and he stands there saying hope change commitment yay yeah like, he's like hope yeah, and, he, and he's just he's just like throwing out hope. like buzzwords yeah. like hope leadership change <laughs> and yeah. and whereas his well in the candidate his vice presidential candidate or the vice leader because like they were the, the what was the name of the leader it chief was chief leader chief leader so the, and the vice under leader and vice under leader or something yeah, yeah, yeah. like that yeah but so. there's some beautiful moments that the the adopted daughter sue has in both shows and this actually this message sort of continued in the first in sorry in the party sue approaches the heather character the heather strong character and says you know you're despite the fact that it's my father who's running against you you're supposed to be who's in charge you're supposed to change the world and she's this little glimmer of like the millennial hope I guess Mm -hmm. and then that sort of comes up again in the second one where she says to her father like you shouldn't be doing this like you're yeah why are you running for president she should be here to change the world and like they don't press on this theme hard but but it is sort of there, this little glimmer of idealism from mm-hmm. the from the teenage daughter. Yeah, and you also get that sort of other side of the millennial um, bit from uh, Dill Pickerel, who is played the, delightfully by Luke Tellier. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> Dill Pickerel. Got to be one of the best character names. <laughs> but but he like I mean. Despite his sort of like idealistic pining and being on Heather's campaign, um, he's he's just sort of like a mover of objects and kind of like there and and there is a name joke. Someone's late for the stage. Yeah, yeah, just kind of like Luke. Can you just stall things a little bit longer and play with the statue's penis for a bit? (laughs) Yeah, all of the dick statues in in the candidate. Yeah. but in, he does a very good job, though. But they are sort of like him and Sue are sort of these kind of like more younger millennial, I guess, voices who are just who know what should be happening and recognize how sort of like corrupt and terrible things are. The other um, the other character in the play that we haven't really mentioned yet is um, uh, Pauline, um, oh, who is yeah. who is the campaign manager. And. At first, I thought I like because she has this sort of like hip sack that's like on or <laughs> whatever, pack. like a fanny pack. Yeah, I like a leather fanny pack. I'm like she's totally a stage manager. Yeah. She's got like tricks in her sleeve. She's got like all these ways. Um, but it like she didn't. I, I in the end, I was like, oh no, definitely not a stage manager. But she actually is the one who's starting to orchestrate both of the campaigns mm-hmm. um, initially in the party she's with Heather and then in the end she's still with Heather but as the under um, under leader but sort she sort of, of comes candidate. across as, as the the not a villain but like as the antithesis of the ideal idealism of Sue and Dill because in the end you know it's 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 Pauline who's sort of maneuvering everything and 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 sort of is the source of this cynicism for for mm-hmm. what's gonna what's about to happen. Well, and in the party, she's kind of th- like the one where the big Me Too moment shows up. Yeah. So I mean, like Heather gets propositioned by the the funder. Yeah, the kingmaker. Uh, yeah, in 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 the party and. 
I mean, it, 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 it doesn't even happen directly to her. It happens through her staff, essentially. It's right. just like Heather has to do something with him. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, what? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And, and, and Colleen is the one, or, or Pauline. Her, her, I'm Colleen. The, I know you're Colleen, but the actor's name is Colleen Wheeler. <laughs> so, um, but Pauline is the one who says, uh, no, you actually totally have to do it. Yeah. And Heather's like, what? No! She's the antithesis of this idealism of like what's proper and what is right. And, 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 and some of the characters sort of take a stand against her in The Candidate, which, you know, is sort of refreshing to see. I don't know that you can escape her really, but she's there as this like icky sneaking cynicism it's the cynicism but she's also like the real one like she's just kind of like no this is what's real this is what's actually happening and she drives the plot lines I'm sorry virgin which she calls dill the entire both shows his like his nickname (laughs) is just virgin (laughs) um and in yeah in in that way you know she is just this sort of like kind of like yeah she's the one who reinforces how like exhausting it is for all of us to kind of like go through through all of this all the time because even though she's actually not in very much of either show she always seems a little bit out of breath yes absolutely (laughs) and she's the and i I suppose if you were to put yourself in anybody's shoes like everybody else is a little bit i I had a feeling watching it especially in the party that it was almost like characters out of a murder mystery like she's the most sort of real character that you could see in in the real like videshka's fantastical and Marquis fantastical and Heather's you know a Hillary Clinton figure so she's sort of the character that kind of grounds them a little bit and Dill's hilarious and all those those sorts of things so they're all sort of larger in life than life characters except for Pauline who's just grinding mm-hmm. through the whole thing yeah she's actually the only one who seems like she's really still working yeah the rest <laughs> of them are like I'm just gonna take a stand Whee! so uh, yeah like it, it but anyway I'm, we have to talk about the sets too I thought they were so effective mm-hmm. that the way that they set up the the two sets in both shows and and there's sort of an, a neat moment because you have these two casts and then it's and they the shows run at the same time so there has to be a moment when they take a bow at the end. So we were very curious as to how they would do that. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you can't have an empty moment on the other stage while everybody's bowing. So I think it was really interesting how they dealt with that. I'm not going to say how. Yeah. But the set is useful in that for that purpose. Yeah, and there were also there were also moments where I was just kind of like, oh, man, there are, like, eight people on stage right now. Like, I wonder what's happening in the other, in the other room. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, brilliant, brilliantly written and coordinated by Kat Sandler, um, and and Daryl Clorin. I think that this was a really interesting and special experiment that the Citadel did, um, taking advantage of how many spaces there are in the Citadel. Mm-hmm. Because there's also even another play running at the Citadel right now, Slight of Mind. The the it's like they're running in every space except the theaters. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of it's it yeah it was really interesting use of the building and um, I think that I'm I'm one I'm curious about how many people will actually see both. Yeah, because they are part of different series. Even the subscribers are sort of like eligible for different tickets on on, on this one. So it's kind of um, yeah. I think it's interesting how they set it I up. I couldn't honestly tell you like if they, you said Colleen see one or the other. I don't know that I could say like 
this one was better than that one or that one was better than this one. I think it would be useful if you're going to see both to see the party and then the candidate. I think that actually would be useful. Yeah, if you want to see them in order. Yeah, yeah I think that would be good. But like, they're just such different shows. Like I, they were both really lovely in their own way. They're different shows, but they're also both really fun. Um, yeah. I think that this was actually the most fun that I had at the Citadel in quite in some quite time. Quite a while. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. that was so that was cool. All right, and so now we're gonna go see um a play about late stage abortion. Great! Woohoo! <laughs> All right. Um, but first, here's an ad. This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by Edmonton Public Library. Overdue Finds is EPL's bi-weekly podcast that features conversations with library staff members discussing all kinds of pop culture and media that you can find at the library. The collection is vast and the staff's taste is very eclectic, so you're bound to hear something that will delight you, whether it's romantic novels, Archie comics, scary movies, or even podcasts. For more info about Overdue Finds and all of APN's member podcasts, visit albertapodcastnetwork.com. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're ready. Okay. Colleen. Colleen, what just happened? Um that was a lot. It was a lot. We just saw 19 weeks um performed by Emily Steele for Studio Theater. Uh that was it, is is, is written by Emily Steele. Written by Emily Steele. The performer in it. Just, can we just start again? Can we start again. This was it was a little much. It was like well, not a little much. It was it was like it just, was all the much that needed to be, but that's a lot of much. Okay. So we saw 19 Weeks, which is a production of Northern Light Theatre um, by playwright Emily Steele. Um, f- from what I understand, Emily Steele, um, this, this actually, the experience in the play actually happened to her. Um, and yeah, and, and maybe tell us a little bit about what happens in the play. So, so the play is called 19 Weeks, and it is about a woman who finds out that she is carrying a baby with Down syndrome and chooses to terminate that pregnancy. Yeah, at 19 weeks. And so, you know, regular gestation for a human being is 40 weeks. Correct. So this yeah. is almost, this is like... Almost halfway. Quite late, quite late stage, almost halfway. Yeah. Um, and uh, Vanessa Sabarin plays the, the key character, Emily, in the play. Um, it's a one-woman show. She's the only character on stage the entire time. Although we did see the um, uh, ASL sign language interpreted uh, performance this time, which was which, which also added to it in, yeah. a certain, in a certain sort of way. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, wow, Sabarin really just does like an incredible job of bringing, um, you know, this real person and a real character, um, just bringing a, a very, very tough story to tell out. She, and she did it beautifully. I, it was not melodramatic. It, it was not, um, over the top. I mean, it was so deeply impactful, but it wasn't. But it was, she just hit the right, she walked the right line. And what a hard line to walk. Because, mm-hmm. you know, and there were little moments of levity, I suppose, where little funny things sort of happen. But it just, wow. I mean, it's 90 minutes with no intermission, and I was riveted the whole time. This is kind of an interesting show for you to see at this time in your life right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I So the woman in the play is um, also has a, has a, has a two-year-old son. And this is the second pregnancy that she has. I myself actually just had my nuchal translucency done, uh, which is the 12-week scan that you have to scan for Down syndrome a few days ago. And I was fortunate to have a, 
um, my my baby is healthy. You're, you got <laughs> so, you got the all you got so, the all clear. And so, you all... and to be very honest, these were thoughts that were running through my head. Well, not one way or the other, but just thoughts that were running through my head. You know, mm-hmm. the better part of a week ago. So yeah, because there's there's you know the other side to this to this option. The you know you find out the diagnosis. The other side is that you know. Um, there, there is a large movement of people who do have children with Down syndrome and who lead very happy lives and believe that, you know, and, and say that, you know, th- their children are are happy and healthy mm-hmm. and they yeah. lend a lot. They, they, you know, they lend a lot to their world. There was sort of um, there was a video that Northern Light Theater put up on their Facebook page a little while ago that was just kind of um, parents who had children with Down syndrome talking about how that extra chromosome has magic in it. Yeah. Um, you know, so so there's. There, there is a lot of other side to this, and I think that the play, the script itself, really does address that. In that, yeah. you know, that kind of like not knowing whether or not your life is going to be a certain way. Um, but I think one of the most beautiful and heart wrenching, really tough moments of the show was when she. Um, she's going through this actual decision making about when she when she finds out, and she says, um, you know, essentially making the decision to be herself and who she is um, because she's not she's not sure that she wants to be the mother of a child with Down syndrome because it would actually change her whole identity right. whether or not you know this child is whatever whatever they would end up being she she's just kind of like I am not that person yeah Mm-hmm. And she and she talks about her her grandmother who ended up being the caretaker of a very sick child for her whole life and and absolutely these are thoughts that run through your head and <clears throat> but what I was so grateful for I actually found like even I sobbed through a good portion of the show and mm-hmm. and was like searching through my purse very quietly for Kleenex that I never could find <laughs> so um, but I, it, it, there was a huge relief I I actually found even though I was crying and and feeling this very deeply. I felt so much relief in the amount of honesty that was there and mm-hmm. certainly being the mother of a two-year-old and, and, and she was, it was so honest. And I, I found myself throughout the show going, yes, that's totally how I feel. Thank you for saying that. Like, yes, Zista. Like I just, I, I, I she just hit so many uh, moments that you're not really proud to admit, but she hit so many feelings that I have felt, not necessarily, and just in my position, I haven't had to go through what she's gone through, but other aspects of, 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 of being a mother and those sorts of things that I just, it was like, yes, I have felt that, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and a human being, just, you know, saying like, I, I won't regret, like, I'm, I'm sad, but I'm not sorry, or I don't regret. Yeah, she talked about how she's, she's, she didn't regret the decision. She's no. like, I recognize that I'm sad, and that I wonder about what it might have been like, but I don't regret what no. happened. I don't regret. And being thankful for the person that she was when she made that decision, because that person um, has impacted the person that she is in that moment. And and I I can certainly relate to that. We've all. I mean, whether or not you've had to make that decision, we've all had to make life changing decisions. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can only be grateful for what you did when you did it. So I just. But wow, I just. If I had said to Fonda before, like if the point of theater is to impact an audience and make them feel things, this is one of the best pieces of theater I've seen. Yeah. in years and it's like and and hands down it just like it was it was well performed it was it was well written you were you were there the entire time with her there yeah. weren't a lot of 
bells and whistles production wise this was just the performance just the delivery of the story and in that way i mean it's a heavy story to tell but in that way um i mean it was it was well done and it was just like you know you talked about that sense of relief and i think that there's you know a lot of people um a lot of people feel the relief either in like making this especially when it comes to to children or like the choice Mm -hmm. to have a child or to not have a child Mm -hmm. um there is this sort of like existential relief when you make a very hard call one way or the other um and i think that um i'm embarrassed to say that i like uh, i I, elizabeth gilbert actually like (laughs) explained this really well for me once in another podcast that i was listening to um but just like yeah even the choice to not have a child or to not have children can be just an actual relief you mm-hmm. know like and it's just sort of like yes my life will not go not this way worry about this anymore yeah well absolutely and this is you know topics like this are just things you don't want to think about so actually sitting there for 90 minutes and just like blowing that door open where it's like okay we're gonna look at the nitty-gritty and the dark things mm-hmm. and you know you by shining the light on the dark things you see that it's not so bad yeah right? we're gonna sit with it we're gonna, we're gonna sit, sit with this with like it. very difficult decision that a family had to make yeah. you know <laughs> and then and by being in it you sort of you know the only way is through right like it's mm-hmm. just to sit with it and go through it and 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 this has happened in other parts of your life where you have to just face rough things and there's like you know the the dark before the before the light mm-hmm. so it just i yeah my i other than like it was a very impactful show and i was crying and all of these things but the relief and mm-hmm. the release actually i think yeah just that sort of like and and now and now they move on from this because yeah. the other path would have been a, of course a very different one mm-hmm. but i want what did you make of the um the, you know there's this sort of like revisiting of like you know asking asking chris asking the husband if he ever has any questions <laughs> and it always seems that he doesn't he doesn't really weigh in and i mean in in truth it really is her story to tell mm-hmm. um and she's the one there in front of us but but what did you make of um how that role was painted you know like when oh. because you know i mean like you know your husband goes with you to your doctor's appointments and all sorts of things <laughs> yeah. um you know just kind of like what did you make of what did you make of that and i mean you know he has to have a story too yeah. there has there has to be like things about his feelings and how he felt. I mean, of course, he must have felt very strongly about when this actually happened to them. Right. Um, but he doesn't get that real voice. That's true. What, what, do you th- what do you think about that? Well, just, I mean, emblematic of what you're saying, I didn't even think about him. So... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. But no, and it, it's, it's true. Like, just especially the first, you know, pregnancy and then even the first several months of, of a new baby's life, the dad where the partner probably does just sort of have to stand there and wait to be told <laughs> what's, what the what's, plan is. What, what she decides to do, basically. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. and I mean, I, you know, maybe, and then maybe that's not fair and that's not, maybe that isn't the way it should be, but um, yeah, I didn't even think about mm-hmm. it. There you go. Oh, and also I didn't, I wasn't aware what, going into the play that this wasn't her first child. And yeah. I think that, I think that the feeling and the sentiment would have been very different if it was their first child and she was 38 and, totally. you know, pregnant for the first time. Yeah. yeah. I think if you've, yeah, if you have if it's not sort of like oh I've I've had the experience and the novelty of my first child because and I mean there were some things she was saying in the very very beginning before the before the 
uh, Down syndrome aspect came up um, that she was saying about being pregnant with her second, <laughs> which I also recently just went through. And it's a very <laughs> different feeling than being pregnant with your first. And there's lots of feelings of like, oh, yeah, okay, here we are again. Okay. Because <laughs> you were also a lot sicker this time too, right? Because I, I got a toddler. <laughs> but um, yeah. So and again, it was just sort of relief of hearing thoughts you feel quite guilty about feeling. Um, but echoed in this in this woman who's just being so honest. And I oh, and I love the moment where she's about to get the results, and the the stage just goes purple, and you just hear the like the dunk the dunk. Oh, it's like that heavy bass sort of like when drone. all you can yeah. hear is your own heart beating when you know you're about to get bad news. Like I just it just put you in her shoes right then mm-hmm. and there, and they didn't even um, dramatize them. Like they didn't actually say what the diagnosis was. Like you just. You just, you just see her react and it was just like, oh, like it just, oh yeah, it just hits your stomach. So um, I also like the part where Peppa Pig kept playing. I was like, oh yeah, no, I understand that. Oh yeah, I feel, uh, I've felt that in the doctor's <laughs> office. Just play with the One phone. More time. Just play with the phone, honey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I just like, baby shark. Oh my God, don't even, don't but that's so interesting like just do even doing this review like I'm oversharing all over the place here whereas like in all of our other reviews like we just give our opinion but just talk about the opera (laughs) (laughs) so yeah but I just yeah so this this particular play just blew up on the door in my feelings and makes me want to overshare and like hug a person Mm. so I wow and have a good cry and a glass of wine except you can't have a glass of wine so too bad (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah well it's great because when I think about North Northern Light Theatre, um, you know, one of the only companies in town that's like really focusing on like heavy women's roles and st- their entire season is all about the woman's body. Oh. It is really refreshing to see not just sort of, you know, like characters for women that are like, you know, it's about it's about love or romance or whatever right. and all this kind of stuff. But this, these are like... These are very real um, decisions and, and and people. And I... I thought I thought it was brilliantly done. It was a really, really brave and oh, yeah. courageous choice to address this sort of thing in the season. And um, yeah, I'm I'm just thrilled that there's there's roles like this out there and that there's these discussions that are being had. Um, yeah, yeah. It I was, was a tiny little theater, and I'm so sad that it isn't a giant one, giant theater that's full of people. I know. I'm just was. kind of like there should be because the discussion around this, and she sort of talks about it at the end, where she runs into people all the time, and everyone has, has a, an abortion slash miscarriage slash whatever story, mm-hmm. and it's just something that isn't talked about, and and. You know, I, for all the pain that women have to go through, why do they have to go through it quietly and secretly? Yeah, why so, why is it so taboo to just even talk about yeah. stuff like this? Yeah. So I just I wish this was a giant full theater. Yeah. 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 We we wish we wish it was like fuller and bigger. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for thanks for going on that one. I know it was I know it was a little uh, uh, maybe scary going <laughs> considering your condition. <laughs> Oh geez, no! I it was again as I said, it was a relief. It was a relief to just sit and think about it and go th- come to the other side of it. 
The Alberta Podcast Network features Dave Berta, a podcast about Alberta politics. Alberta's provincial election is just days away, and for the duration of the campaign, they are recording a new episode of the Dave Berta Podcast each week. In the most recent episode, Dave and Ryan talk about the United Conservative Party reopening the Gay-Straight Alliance debate, the transphobic comments that led to the departure of Calgary Southeast UCP candidate Eva Kiriakos, as well as Rachel Notley's plan to expand Alberta's $25 a day childcare program and the Liberal Party and the Liberal Party's proposal to introduce a harmonized sale tax. To listen to Dave Berta and find out more about all of APN's podcasts, visit albertapodcastnetwork.com. All right, Colleen, what are what are some of our listings? We're uh, I'll start us off with um, Slate of Mind is still running at the Citadel Theater. That's by Beth Graham and produced by Theater Yes. It's running everywhere but the club at the Citadel until April 14th. The candidate discussed uh, this evening um, opens on April 4th and the party by Kat Sandler and Daryl Cloran at the Citadel Theatre running until April 21st. And we're I think we're going to miss the opera this time. The Misadventures of Count Ori by Edmonton Opera is running at the Jubilee Auditorium April 9th and 12th. They just had their opening this last weekend. Fun Home Plain Jane Theatre at the Barscona Theatre is running from April 11th till the 20th. That's that's Alison Bechtel. That's like oh. the the heart of the Bechtel test. Um, and the Edmonton Flamenco Festival um, is running their main stage show, Tierra Flamenca, at the Winspear Center on April twelfth. And we had a couple of tickets to give away this week um, to that show, so that was really fun. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, thank you for joining me on this wild ride, Colleen. It's been it's been quite a week. Thanks for having me. Not opera. <laughs> Definitely not the opera. Definitely not the opera. All right, everyone, go see some shows. Bye. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blenov. Sit here thinking, I love you.